Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Talking about the latest genetics or the latest crop protection products, you know, pesticides, um, the latest technology, um, drones, data monitoring, everything's so data and it's so tech-driven now. And it's just really cool to see that. And it's one of these things where it's like the way that farmers go about it is so nonchalant because like that's all they know. Hello and welcome to the Farm Traveler podcast. This is episode 55 with Michelle Miller, also known as the Farm Babe on social media. So Michelle's going to talk to us about her whole journey, how she kind of went from working in downtown Los Angeles to working on a farm in Iowa, and how her whole perspective of the agriculture industry changed for the better. She's also going to talk to us about what she's doing to kind of better educate consumers on where their food comes from, what she's doing to fight false information out there, and also a whole lot of really great stuff on large issues, educational issues going on in agriculture. And she's also going to call me out on glyphosate because I always butcher it. I always pronounce it wrong. So luckily she is going to correct me, which is fantastic. So this is honestly a really great episode where Michelle's going to talk to us about what she does to fight misinformation and really what the agriculture industry can do as a whole to kind of put this false information to rest, such as working with celebrities to kind of getting our message out there. So this is a great episode with Michelle. Be sure to check her out on social media, wherever you're at. Hope you enjoy it. Again, this is episode 55 with Michelle Miller. Michelle okay. Miller, AKA the farm babe, how are you doing? I'm doing well. How about yourself? I'm doing well. I'm excited to have you on, talk about all things that you do and kind of what you're doing to bridge the gap between farmers and consumers and fight a whole bunch of, or a whole bunch of misinformation out there. So before we kind of dive into your farm babe thing, kind of tell us about your background. Like where'd you grow up and how did you start doing what you're doing now? 
Sure. I grew up in Wisconsin, in Oshkosh, Wisconsin, and I was involved in agriculture growing up. I was a 4-H kid, and my friends were all farm kids. So even though I didn't personally grow up on a farm, like my family weren't farmers, all of my friends were. So every day after school, you know, we would do chores on my friends' grandparents' farms and like ride horses, and I always really loved the farm life. And in high school, you know, you take those aptitude tests with your guidance counselor, and every test I took said I should work in agriculture. And so it was always a really big part of who I was and my passion as like a 4-H kid growing up. But I actually moved to Los Angeles for college. And so um, I had become this big city fashionista. I got a degree out there and worked for Gucci on Rodeo Drive. So um, the complete opposite of what I'm doing now but that's really kind of where my passion stems from now as the farm babe is because, you know, when you live in Los Angeles and Chicago, you know, you fall victim to a lot of misinformation. There's a lot of marketing tactics out there. There's a lot of um, people that are really disconnected from how their food is grown. And so I had done the big city thing for a while. And then I had met a farmer, um, Doug, who I moved to Iowa for him about six years ago. And he is a sixth generation farmer. And so now we live and farm together here in Iowa. And I just wanted to start this social media outreach and just, um, I guess like a public influence platform because I do public speaking and I'm a writer and influencer and I help out here on the farm. Just wanted to bridge that gap because I know what it feels like to be on both extremes of the spectrum. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, no, totally. And that's a cool little kind of change you did there from, um, Big city in Las Vegas, moving up to rural Iowa and starting farming. I mean, that, yeah. you never know where life's going to take you. That's really cool. Yeah, well, Los Angeles, not Las Vegas. <laughs> Los Angeles, that's even bigger. I, mean, <laughs> I, I grew up in Bluntstown. We have Bluntstown, Florida, and we have three stoplights now. And the oh, first yeah. time I flew into Los Angeles, I was like, good Lord, this place goes on for miles. I and mean, there's definitely yeah. much three stop signs. <laughs> yeah, it's crazy. I was just there like last summer. I was actually on Dr. Drew, if you know the Dr. Drew podcast. Yeah, no Dr. Drew, uh-huh. Yeah, so I was on Dr. Drew last year and I rented a car when I was in Los Angeles. I hadn't been there in 15 years and I couldn't believe all the things about LA I still remembered. Like I could still <laughs> get around like the back of my hand. I was like there's so much that's the same. Like I know exactly where I'm going. It was it was cool, but it's neat when your mind like, you know, you just don't forget. Oh yeah, no totally. That's really cool. So what were you on the Dr. Drew show for? To talk about agriculture, Heck to do yeah. myth busting. Yeah. So from Drew to the Farm Traveler podcast, here we go. <laughs> <laughs> Full circle. That's not bad. Yeah, but, I do podcasts all the time, you know, and they're just all shapes and sizes and, you know, all different people around the world. So it's fun. Yeah, that's awesome. So what are kind of like the, the major points that you're trying to tell consumers and tell people? What are some of the major points you're trying to get across? Really, safety is a big one um, and debunking myths, right? Because I hate to see that people fear their food sometimes. I hate to see manipulative marketing messages where people think, like just yesterday I did a video debunking the dirty dozen, right? And this just came out yesterday. Every year this video comes out and every year it gets debunked. And it's like scaring people about perfectly safe and healthy produce. And especially, you know, we're, we're amidst this coronavirus stuff right now, right? And it's 
it's like, that's the last thing people need is to fear their freaking fruits and vegetables. Are you kidding me? And so it really grinds my gears when people feel like they have to pay more for a certain label or specialty that really doesn't make a difference on the health or nutrition of your food. And really, I want to celebrate science. I want to celebrate all farmers, regardless of size or label. And you just bring truth and science and justice to the agricultural system to celebrate all different shapes and sizes of farms. I like that. And it's something that I always am just like kind of venting to my wife about. I hate just like random claims on food packaging. And I mean, right now with the coronavirus, we had to go to the grocery store a few weeks ago. And, you know, they had like bare bone stuff, just really normally the organic stuff was the only stuff that was left. And we had to buy a loaf of organic bread that literally says in giant letters, no unnatural crap on it. And I was like, wait, what? Like, are you for real? Like, so, like, what are some of those labels that kind of in your ears? Oh, yeah, that would drive me crazy, too. Um, so I think one of the biggest ones is like, um, no added hormones or steroids on poultry um, when there is no such thing as added hormones or steroids in poultry. Like it doesn't even exist. And it literally tells um, you in small um, font right below that message. It's illegal in the United States to use added hormones. Yeah, exactly. It's not even a thing. So that label is totally, um, is totally um, what sort I'm looking for, uh, meaningless. And uh, non-GMO is one of my biggest gripes. Like I refuse to buy anything that says non-GMO on it because the, if you follow the money trail behind the anti-GMO movement, like it's funded by the very same companies that are trying to sell a product. So like I have nothing against organic farming, right? Like if people want to be an organic farmer, that's great. Good on them. If they can be more profitable or whatever is their marketing niche, good for them. But when it comes to fear mongering, like telling people, well, if you aren't buying organic and non-GMO, you're poisoning your family. Like it's just toxic and terrible. Like I have problems with that. First of all, I used to believe it all, right? So Second of all, when you actually start submerging yourself in agriculture and you learn about how your food is produced from actual farmers, now it's like, I just want to fight back twice as hard with my wallet. Because um, it's like, you know, you, you believe these myths and then you realize that it's all BS. Everybody knows natural is BS, right? But there's like organic and non-GMO. I mean, this is, it's like a 65 or $80 billion business or something crazy like that. Like I forget the exact number, but they're spending like 3 billion a year leading with fear through marketing tactics to sell their products. And so while I would have no problems buying products labeled organic, um, for ethical and moral and honesty reasons, I just choose not to, especially non-GMO. Like I will not buy anything that says non-GMO on it. <laughs> yeah, I hate that. The icing on the cake is the pink Himalayan sea salt that has that on there. Yes. Like, you can't genetically modify a mineral. Why is this label on here? Yeah. Well, and it's like everything we eat is modified in some way. Mm -hmm. Oh, you know what else is I think is really funny about the pink Himalayan sea salt thing. Like if you look at it, it says right on there, it's got like an expiration date and it's like made in <laughs> India or made in Pakistan or something. Like it's like not even, and it's like, oh, so it's so ancient and this magical elixir. Oh, but just so you know, it, <laughs> it's non-GMO project verified and expires in April of 2021. You know, it's like crazy. Yeah. So you got to buy some more eventually because you're not going to use it all by then. Yeah. So you said you used to believe all that stuff. 
What yeah. were some key moments or key things that you learned that kind of really changed your perspective on kind of all those random claims and, and false um, labels? Yeah. So when I first started dating Doug, um, that was, yeah, like seven years ago or so now. Um, uh, I, here I, here I was like on his farm and learning about what he was growing and it's a, it's a standard, you know, Iowa grain farm, right? Like a couple thousand acres, corn and soybeans, like what you'd typically find here in our area of Northeast Iowa. And he was growing Monsanto GMOs. <laughs> and so uh, he, I was like totally anti-GMO, you know, like I had seen the movie Food Inc., which is total crap, right? Uh-oh, but at the time, uh-oh, yeah. I know. But at the time I was living in Chicago and so I'm like, oh, Food Inc., this is, this is so truthful. This is so like, wow, our food supply is so messed up. And, and it's so easy to buy into it because you don't get the opportunity to hear the other side. And so really it was the first time in my... 20s as a big city girl that I was able to hear the other side that I had never even really had a chance to learn about. And so my big like light bulb aha moment was when he said, yeah, of course I grow GMOs. Like, and he acted like it was nothing. And that's how it is for all the farmers in our area. Like if you're growing corn and soybeans, there's a really good chance you're growing GMOs. Well, why is that? Because you don't have to spray insecticides anymore. Because you don't have to till anymore. Because you're using safer herbicides. Um, You know, no more insecticides. There's all these great benefits. GMOs allow you to grow more crop on less land or save plants from disease or reduce our waste or make them healthier. I mean, there's a big list of benefits of GMOs. And so I was really like taken aback because the more I started learning from farmers and scientists and experts, the more I was like, this is messed up. Like people are being lied to. Like this isn't okay. (laughs) So So, no, go ahead. That was my big one. And then, you know, he raises livestock, right? And like uses growth hormones and sometimes has to use antibiotics. And it's all these things that are so easy to fear because of marketing. Like growth hormones, that just sounds awful. Like GMO just sounds terrible. Like, of course it's bad for you. But it's so anti-science, right? Like why do farmers use hormones? Like because it allows you to be better, you know, produce more beef with fewer resources, you know, like it's like, and it's so safe. You know, there's really no nutritional difference. You're talking about fractions of a billionth of a gram. You know what I mean? So it's the more you learn about science, the more I just want to like share the science <laughs> because it's really cool. And scientists and farmers are really underappreciated. Oh, yeah. No, I, I, I always hate that, you know, like actors, celebrities, those are the more popular people, not scientists who are actually trying to better our lives here and trying to make us more sustainable. So, the, I mean, they always have some really good viewpoints. And I think that's so cool that you saw somebody using GMOs and you're like, you wanted to learn from them specifically why they use GMOs instead of like some random soccer mom's blog on why she thinks GMOs might be bad, which is what the right. probably does. Right. Yeah. And it's so cool now to be submerged in agriculture because, you know, I attend a lot of conferences. I speak at a lot of ag conferences and I'm surrounded and submerged in agriculture every day. And I've met thousands upon thousands upon thousands of farmers. And when you go to these conferences and you see them talking about the latest genetics or the latest crop protection products, you know, pesticides, um, the latest technology, um, drones, data monitoring, everything's so data and it's so tech driven now. And it's just really cool to see that. And it's one of these things where it's like, 
the way that farmers go about it is so nonchalant because like that's all they know. And I think what public perception is, is that they want it to be like this romantic homegrown, you know, old man in overalls with a hoe and, you know, a horse. And it's like bib overalls. And it's like, that's not how it works anymore. But if we could get that's, I think, in my opinion, that's one of the biggest gripes I have about agriculture is we don't have celebrities in our corner anymore. Like, remember how cool milk was in the 90s? <laughs> oh, yeah. The whole I mean, got milk campaign. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we had every celebrity, every supermodel, every athlete, you know, talking about I remember thinking milk was so cool because celebrities are so influential. But nowadays, I don't know what's going on with the industry, but I just feel like where's all the money going and why aren't we using this money towards influencers to make farming cool? Because people are, they love tech. They want to get the latest iPhone. They want to know tech in their house. They want, you know, Amazon powered this and Alexa powered that and, you know, Google home and whatever it is they want, right? People love tech. Egg is tech. And how can we better tell that story and bridge that that uh, understanding of what we do that's so cool that needs to be celebrated. Yeah, exactly. So when I was in an ag program in high school, I mean, I just really thought that ag was, you know, the old school that I always thought about it, like the old picture American Gothic with the old man and the old woman with overalls and they've got the pitchfork and the, she's staring at him or whatever. And yeah. it wasn't until I was learning more about it that the ag industry is one of those industries that really has every discipline in it. It's got meteorology, chemistry, biology, um, programming, everything. And it, it encompasses so much because it, I mean, you've got to feed the world. So you've got to use as many technologies as possible to do that as efficiently and as sustainably as possible. So yep. I mean, it'd be really cool if we could get some like modern day celebrities that get on board and help us get that message out there. Oh, hundred percent. That's my <laughs> biggest, that's my biggest wish. <laughs> I bet. So you, you just said that you are also like a big keynote speaker. You travel internationally everywhere. And what are some of the big topics that you kind of talk about whenever you're doing your keynote speaking engagements? Um, I think one of the most popular ones is ag advocacy, is telling that story, encouraging more people in agriculture to have, to feel empowered and more confident in telling their story. You know, I, I come across a lot of people at conferences that you know, I think that's probably one of the biggest compliments I could receive after a talk is if somebody emails me and saying, Hey, I started my own page, like just encouraging more people to do outreach. Like, I feel like a lot of people want to do it, but they feel intimidated. Like they're just, Oh, I don't know if I can do it. You know, like, what if I have haters? Like, what if I have pushback? Like, aren't you scared about what people are going to say? And it's like, Oh my God, like the, the detractors and the negativity is such a small, teeny tiny part of it. And if you vary your content, I mean, there's so many different ways you can go about telling that story. So a lot of it is inspiring others to share the story of agriculture. I also do some speeches on social media. You know, what is um, an influencer, right? Like, how do we better strengthen our message and, and share the power of social media, you know, about how you can reach a million people with a click of a button for free? You know, how do we create content? How do we amplify that content? And how do we... Yeah, just really a lot of it's just messaging and communication. Um, I do some on public trust, you know, how do we go about getting people to understand what it is that we do? And I'm passionate about these topics because I know what it feels like to be on the other side of the spectrum, right? To know what it feels like to fear your food and 
you know, so myth busting, I mean, I cover a lot of stuff, but that's really kind of the general genre is myth busting, you know, food labels, um, public trust, communication, all that stuff, really just bridging that gap. Um, bridging the gap between consumers and farmers is just my biggest, biggest passion in life. I like it. I like it. So what would you say are kind of the five most popular myths that you bust whenever you're doing these keynote speaking engagement engagements, like the most common misconceptions out there that consumers have about their food? That organic uses pesticides. Like so many people think that organic means pesticide free and that's not true. Sometimes mm -hmm. organic uses more. So that's a big one. I mean, sometimes they do, sometimes they don't. And I, and you know what, you know what bothers me is when you talk about this, like, there's people that are like organic farmers and they get so mad when you talk about that. <laughs> it's just the fact, like, I'm sorry. Like, and, and then the organic farmers are like, oh, oh, no, no. And I'm like, well, yeah, but okay, so you don't. Well, how big is your farm? Well, we've got three acres. Well, of course, like, you know what I mean? I'm not talking about the farmers that have like two or three, five acres that they can manage it by hand. I'm talking about real large scale commercial farms that are feeding the world. Like, let's set aside all the small, you know, farmers market, community farmers, gardens, which are amazing, by the way. Like, I love them. Like, that's my biggest way to shop. My, I'm, I'm a farmers market vendor myself and, and have so much respect for people that get certified organic. You know, um, it takes a lot of money and time and paperwork. Getting certified organic is no joke. But, when, but, but it's, it's messed up, though, when people say, if you don't buy my product, you're poisoning your family. Oh, and those chemicals are just toxic. And it, it's like, no, I mean, the dose makes the poison. And when you look at the dose, it's like a couple ounces an acre, obviously, depending on what it is. So I think that's one of the biggest ones is that. Um, another one would be, you know, non-GMO, like everything we eat has been modified and GMOs are not proven GMOs are proven to be just as safe and effective, if not more beneficial than their non-GMO counterparts. I debunk a lot of myths surrounding animal rights activist videos, like what the vegan agenda is, would be probably the third one, is like the money trail behind vegan animal rights activists. Yeah, that's a big one too. I mean, Huge the one. normal consumer has no idea what PETA does and how they're like, you know, like a terrorist organization here in the U.S., yeah, it really is. And the way that they talk and target farmers is like, it, it's just so awful. Like to have the word ethical, <laughs> they're anything but. I mean, they're oh, terrorists. Yeah. They're so awful. Like I've written articles and have been a target of this myself. And it's, it's such a small part of it though. I mean, again, it's like, okay, like they've targeted me like one day a year, right? Like big deal. I can get over it. But um, they're not helping their cause, right? Like they're just making themselves look crazy. Like, what do they think I'm going to do? Like sell my farm tomorrow and go vegan? Like, no, <laughs> nobody's going to do that. You're, you're an asshole. I'm not going to listen to you. <laughs> you <know? laughs> so that would be one. And then probably like hormones, um, and antibiotics, like how all meat and dairy is antibiotic free. I think, you know, like people think, oh, I have to buy antibiotic free meat because that other stuff's just pumped full of hormones and antibiotics. And it's like, oh gosh, that's not true at all either. And I think that's been one of the most rewarding and eye-opening experiences of doing all this is traveling to these so-called factory farms and just seeing with your own two eyes and learning from the experts, like how well animals are cared for on today's modern large-scale farms. Like, I could debunk myths surrounding large-scale farming all day. <laughs> 
No, I bet. Yeah, I, I like following like influencers on Instagram, like um, Derek Josie with TDF Honest Farming. He does a yeah. great job of showing like how he takes care of his cows. You know, all the quote unquote safety meetings he gives the girls. It's so funny yeah. to watch. But oh yeah, my god, they're treated very well. And anybody in the ag industry knows that a sad cow is not going to produce. And so happy cows have to produce. I mean, they will produce if they're happy, taken care of. I think that's a very key point. Exactly. The better we take care of them, the better they'll take care of us. And yeah, Derek does such a great job. Um, and it's funny because I, I follow him on Twitter where people are like, oh, your cows are so awesome. Yeah, I would never get from factory farms. And he's like, yeah, but like I am a factory farm. <laughs> <laughs> and people tell, yeah. yeah, people tell me that too. You know, they're like, oh, you know, your beef's the best beef I've ever had. I love buying local. You know, your beef's so good. You know, I would never buy that mass produced like Tyson stuff in the grocery store, you know, whatever. I'm like, yeah, some of our beef probably goes there too. <laughs> you know, it's like <laughs> it, it really, any farmer can do an awesome job. It doesn't require, you know, a fancy label or anything like that to do it right. If anything, sometimes the larger scale, you know, cheaper product could actually maybe even be better. I mean, maybe yes, maybe no, it's very complicated, but we can't just keep slapping labels and labeling the consumer to death because at some point we're just losing trust with them every single day. We've got to come up with new ways to sell products to the food marketing people. It's like, you know, use humor. Like what about Geico? Like something like that, that, that does such a good job of being a memorable, popular company and brand because you're using humor. You're not sitting here going organic, non-GMO, gluten-free, um, hormone-free, antibiotic-free, gas, you know, grass-fed, um, you know, unicorn blessed. Like we're just labeling <laughs> them to death to the point where they're just going to go, I don't buy into any of it anymore. Like just, you know, it's like, that's not how we build trust in our industry and it drives me bonkers. Yeah, absolutely. That's always the biggest headache. It's, and usually nine times out of 10, it's these big corporations that are buying the commodities to make their own goods that are slapping those labels on them. One that came out like a few months ago was by Smirnoff and they had um, like a OMG non-GMO and I was like, okay, oh, yeah. here we go again. <laughs> I wrote an article about them and yeah. uh, it, it highlighted some liquor stores that refused to carry Smirnoff anymore for that reason. Um, and that's cool. You know, like look at what happened with the backlash of Bud Light when they ripped on corn syrup during the Super Bowl, you know? Oh, yeah, I remember that. Yeah. Oh, they're made from corn syrup. Well, not Bud Light. Yeah. The backlash on that was huge. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, and that's great to see that like you shouldn't mess with us, you know, like yeah. farmers are a small percentage of the population, but don't mess with us <laughs> sometimes, <laughs> you know, I just, it's really nice when you feel that strength and numbers and support from our community. Now, does that mean that you know, if you put a fancy label on it, it could be a better product, you know, maybe. And that's one thing I am a huge fan of. It's like, if you want to know how your food is produced, I'm a huge proponent and fan of buying local. Like I love it when people support small local family farms in their community. The farms can be more profitable usually. I mean, it's really tough times right now for a lot of farmers to even stay afloat. I mean, it's no secret commodity prices are the lowest we've seen in forever. So you know, farms got to diversify. They have to be creative with how they're going to be more profitable. And the best way to do that, you know, in my opinion, if you can, is really to sell direct. And so what do you do with your sales and marketing when you're trying to sell local? What makes your product special and unique and how do you sell? So, you know, there's a lot of importance in people supporting farmers markets, which I'm a big fan of. 
Oh yeah. Um, we, we love farmers. We have a local um, honey place that was on the podcast a few months ago, register bee farm. And every time we go to a local farmer's market, they're there and we get them, we get some local honey and we get some local produce from other vendors. It's great. I mean, it helps the local economy. It helps, you know, somebody that's actually producing one of your food, food items. And so it's a great win-win for everybody. Yeah, exactly. And you know exactly how it's grown, you know, for the people that do want to have completely pesticide free food, pesticides aren't scary, right? Like I just did this video yesterday where it's like parts per billion, parts per trillion, if that, wash your produce. Produce is very good for you regardless of how it's grown. But if somebody chooses, well, I want it completely clean and free of any chemical, whatever, right? Well, what I, that phrase wasn't very scientific of me. <laughs> people would be like, why are you calling it clean? You know what I mean? Um, for, for the people that choose to have that, they can. And you know, you can know exactly how it's, how it's grown, but also know that if you have to buy it mass produced in a grocery store, um, they have really high food safety standards as well, you know? And so, yeah, it's just, uh, it takes all types of farms and, you know, how you differentiate yourself is up to you. I'm a big fan of humor. You know, when I do farmer's markets, I, my farm name is Buckingham Palace. <laughs> That's so, pretty good. I like that. So, so people laugh and then I talk about my favorite you. Her name is Queen Elizabeth. <laughs> <laughs> and so it's like the sheep are like Prince Harry and Prince William. And so like, I take a really funny, punny approach to it where it's like we treat our livestock like royalty so you can eat like a king. So like my, my logo is like a crown. It's like I want people to feel like they're, they're eating like a king or a queen. Like I want them to feel like it's the best. So I saw on quality and humor and that's my marketing shtick. And so, you know, you try that and they say, oh my God, it's the best beef ever. But then they like you too because you're making them laugh. So how do you sell? Well, I don't think the answer is, misleading people, you know, then you're just a liar and a jerk and you make us all look bad, you know? <laughs> yeah, no, totally. Uh-huh. <laughs> now, did you say it was Prince William or Prince William? Prince William. William. There you go. That's what I thought yes. you said. That's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> We've got to have the puns. See, I don't have my own podcast, but I've always wanted to have one and I would call it a pun cast. <laughs> Man, that's so good. I love puns. My sister-in-law got me a dad jokes, like little booklet and they're full of puns. They're so funny. Yes. They're the best. Yes. That's amazing. So going off of pesticides, which you were talking about earlier, I know something that is really hot right now is glyphosate. There's people spewing it out. They're like, oh, glyphosate or Roundup, it's so bad for you. But there's so many organizations like the EPA, the um, World Health Organization. It seems like nobody can come to a consensus on the amount that is toxic for the human body. Like I think it was the, the WHO that said you need to eat around – I think this was this came out like a year ago or something. Whenever they thought that it was found in Cheerios and other and other cereals, basically they said that you would have to eat somewhere around a thousand bowls of Cheerio of Cheerios per day to get like a negative effect from glyphosate. So, what what's your thoughts on the whole glyphosate thing, and what have you found out from it? Well, actually, it's pronounced glyphosate. Glyphosate. <laughs> I always say glyphosate. You're right. Glyphosate. It's glyphosate. Yeah, it's glyphosate. <laughs> and it is, we use it on our farm. It is by far the safest herbicide any farmer has ever had access to, which is why it is so safe and why it is so popular and why you can get it at any Home Depot or Walmart or anything like that. So the interesting thing about it is that when we apply, I'll just give you an example from our farm, right? Like, so glyphosate, 
is applied to our fields in the very beginning of the growing season, right? Like, so the corn's maybe only like shin high or so. Once it kind of canopies, you get that first leaf out of the corn plant, um, it's going to shadow the weeds. So the weeds are no longer competing for those nutrients. So you don't need to use herbicides. Um, so you only use it in the beginning. And we use it at a rate of 22 ounces per acre. So 22 ounces, you figure that's less than two beer cans on an oh, yeah. area of land yeah. the size of a football field. And so when you see the sprayer and people are like, oh my God, look at all the chemicals. Well, 99% of what you see is actually water. Um, so the chemical amount is extremely minimal and it would really be humanly impossible to end up in your food. So... Um, Interestingly enough, these so-called reports that came out claiming it was in food actually came from organic industry-sponsored lobbying groups. And if you dig in on the, the quote, quote, science um, that they used to so-called detect glyphosate in their food, they didn't use proper methodology testing. So if you read the actual report, which I have, um, it's creating false positives. So glyphosate has this is kind of sciencey and it's maybe some people will find it boring, but like 5,600 milligrams per kilogram. If you compare that to as, as an LD 50 value, if you compare that to say like um, coffee or table salt, it would be even less toxic than that. And it affects herbicides affect enzymes found in plants, not found in humans. So they affect, like glyphosate is an EPSPS enzyme inhibitor. So as farmers, we know exactly what herbicide we need to spray on what crop, when and why. And we are required to hold certifications, license, trainings, ongoing education to know what we need to do. So, you know, whether you're planting a legume or a grass or whatever it is, you know, we know well, what herbicide do we have to use to target these specific weeds and we should alternate those herbicidal modes of action to prevent weed resistance. So it, <laughs> the science is really cool and farmers get it. The average person doesn't. But the average person, you're right, just hears this glyphosate, glyphosate, glyphosate. Well, why? Oh, because it's tied to Monsanto and they're so evil, right? Everything yeah. by Monsanto mm -hmm. is evil. Um, and so it's an easy scare tactic. It's an easy sell. So we also grow oats on our farm and I have never, I have never ever heard of anybody using glyphosate on oats. Oats is not glyphosate tolerant. If you sprayed it, it would kill it. So when they say, oh, Cheerios, this oat-based cereal tests positive for glyphosate, it's like bullshit. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> Got him. Bull friggin' shit. So I will say, though, that in some parts of like Canada, for example, you sometimes rarely you might be spraying glyphosate on oats or wheat, like um, maybe like a week or two before harvest, just to kind of get that last flush of weeds out so they can run their crop through their combine. So but still, even it, the crop is protected by shot by um, I can't I can't talk shocks, pods, hulls, the, the actual part we eat is protected, right? So even if, even if you were to find that they claim, they claim it's parts per billion. Okay. Parts per billion is like a teaspoon in an Olympic size swimming pool. I mean, billion, like, could you imagine taking a pie and cutting that into a billion pieces? Like it's, it's, it's less than a crumb. I mean, it's like, so they're sitting here freaking out, yelling, the sky is falling and we're all going to get cancer. Meanwhile, 
like you said, the EPA, all these scientific evidence, the, there was the human agricultural health study that was done. All of these organizations are proving that it is not a carcinogen, except for the, what is it, the um, IARC um, claims that glyphosate might cause cancer, but they also claim that about everything, like literally everything causes cancer, especially in California for some weird reason, right? <laughs> That's so like, odd. <laughs> yeah. Well, like, but who's making the money, right? Like yeah, lawyers exactly. are making bank off this. Lawyers are making, lawyers in California, from what I last read, have made like $200 million. I mean, it's, it's just a cash cow. And so you're sitting here going, okay, well, you know, Starbucks coffee is also a, a carcinogen. Um, but could you imagine like trying to take coffee to court? Like everybody would laugh you out of the courtroom because you would never win over a jury by saying coffee, you know, that thing that we all really love, like it's going to kill you. They're all just gonna be like, no, 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 nope, nope, nope. And they would laugh you out of the courtroom. <laughs> but try saying Monsanto GMOs. Oh, absolutely. It's killing everybody. I mean, it, it's such an easy sell. And so this boils down to politics and money. This does not boil down to hard scientific evidence. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Sorry, that was a really long rant. <laughs> no, no, that was great. I love it because, I mean, most people, they just hear glyphosate and they're like, oh, that's bad. Farmers are dumping it on crops. And when you look into it, like you said, it's 22 ounces that's diluted with water over yeah. an acre and so, or over like this area the size of, of a football field. And so yeah. you're not going to get it in your food at all. Oh, and it's not and like you're spraying it every single day. Oh yeah, totally. We spray two days an entire year at the mm -hmm. beginning of the growing season. Compare that to, I was actually at an organic apple orchard last year, organic, sprayed 32 times in one growing season. Organic. And I'm sitting here going, okay, everybody's freaking out because of the media and the food companies putting out these messages. Meanwhile, organics pure, like people have no clue where their food comes from. They don't know how it's grown because they're not getting it from actual farmers and growers, like commercial scale growers. And so it's this crazy thing of like chemophobia based purely on marketing and misinformation. And it's like, oh my God, you guys. And it's, and this is again, coming from I was the girl that used to believe it all, which is why I'm so passionate about this because more people need to do their due diligence and like hear all sides of a story and, and listen and learn from the real experts. But it's so funny when you talk to farmers, you know, uh, I'm here on a, a sixth generation farm now and you talk to everybody around here, the older guys, you know, I'm in my mid thirties, right? you talk to these guys that are like in their 60s, 70s, older, and they're like, oh my God, I'm so thankful we don't have to use those old herbicides from the 60s. And we don't have to use those insecticides. Oh God, that stuff was nasty. Oh, it was a skull and crossbone product. If you talk to any farmer, you know, I, just speaking to my area, right? Like, let's just talk about Iowa corn and soybeans, which is what I know because it's what I live on. They're singing their praises to like modern genetics and like modern herbicides because people think glyphosate is bad. They haven't seen nothing. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, go back, go back to Paraquat and Lasso and like Thymet and Counter and Lorsban and all these insecticides that nobody has to use anymore. And talk to an agronomist. You know, like learn from the people that do it for a living. You know, which is which is what I've done is learn from the people that you know, like a lot of people don't even know what an agronomist is. You know, it's like, get your information from people that have masters and PhDs in this stuff, you know? 
Yeah, people that have reliable sources and have studied these topics for years and years. And people don't realize that like those, like the new modern day pesticides and insecticides have to go through trials and they have to make sure that they're safe to put on crops so that, you know, they Mm -hmm. don't hurt the consumers, but consumers are just worried that just some scientist made it and doesn't care and just sold it. And that's it. Oh gosh. That's really if only they knew. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, I have, I have friends, you know, I have scientist friends, you know, like well, actually one of my good friends is a, um, he's actually a pharmaceutical scientist. So he develops like new vaccines and stuff. And, you know, he, he came home one day and he's like, oh my God, you guys. And he was talking about his drug got approved from the FDA. 20 years and hundreds of millions of dollars worth of research. He comes and it's so funny when you talk to scientists and they, they do a really good job of talking over your head sometimes. Right. And I'm like, uh, Jeff, what does all that mean? And he goes, um, it's basically like the Super Bowl ring of being a scientist. And I was like, yes, <laughs> there you go. That's a good analogy. He finally won his Super Bowl after 20 seasons. <laughs> and I was like, this is what farmers and this is why I'm good at what I do or why I do what I do. Right. Because I learn from these scientists and then I take what they know and I digest it and make it in analogies and ways that everybody can understand. So it's not just like my ALS inhibitors of herbicidal modes of action from Iowa state, <laughs> right? Like it's, 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 here's why it's safe. Here's, here's how it compares to other stuff in our lives every day. It's like, Oh, you're freaking out about parts per billion. Well, it's like, well, there's probably parts per billion on your dish soap too. Like on your dishes, you know, you're going to go drink a gallon of dish soap. Like, I don't think so. But it's like safe because toxicology and chemistry is always the dose makes the poison. So we have a really safe, abundant food supply. It's just people don't get to hear the science. Or if they do, it's like boring. Like nobody wants to sit and read a peer reviewed paper. They want just memes and quick snippets of like, what does this mean for you? And, you know, like, how does it relate to them as opposed to, you know, like, science that people will just turn out like tldr oh yeah no too exactly long, read. <laughs> <laughs> That's i have to some i have to sometimes catch myself tldr too long didn't read <laughs> <laughs> i like that so yeah so let's say somebody's listening and they want to learn more about where their food comes from but they might not know any agronomists any food scientists or any farmers that produce anything so what kind of advice would you give them on how they can find factual information about how their food is produced? Well, um, there's hashtags are a really great way to go about it. Um, so like a good one is hashtag facts, not fear, um, is a good hashtag to search. But like, I really go to university extension a lot, like find your local university, um, extension outreach is going to be a great source for that. Um, the, you know, that real good, um, peer reviewed research and evidence, find a farmer, like really a real commercial, larger scale farmer reach out to some of the bigger companies and brands, you know, for example, Tanamira and Antle is, um, it's like 55,000 acres of produce they grow for like Walmart, Costco, McDonald's, stuff like this. They're an open book. Like I shared one of their videos, like how are onions harvested? And, you know, they had me out on their farm to see where it comes from and how it's grown. And this happens a lot is they're really excited to share and work with influencers and like give farm tours and really show like the industry is as transparent as you want it to be. It's just a lot of people are intellectually lazy or they don't have time. Um, but find that time. I mean, it's really cool. We all kind of love agritourism. Um, but it's usually like that cool, like small scale, like fun community farm, which is awesome. But 
like these really large scale, massive farms, like they have a pretty open door policy too, and they want to share it. So always go to the source, any sort of university, um, Farm Bureau always has great information as well, like different county farm bureaus or state, um, you know, just different ag conferences. Just get out there. Just be submerged with the people that do it every day. Go to a farm conference. A lot of them are cheap to go to. I mean, like Farm Progress or some things. Like I think it's like 10 or 20 bucks, you know, your county fair, um, all that stuff. There's so many ways to learn. People just have to go to the source. Yeah, there's a ton of great resources out there. And and you brought up a good one. I love agritourism, just going to a farm and seeing firsthand what goes on. And yeah, most farms, wherever you might be, you can just call them up and usually they'll have tours or something or walkthroughs and you can go and see exactly how they do it and ask them any number of questions and they'll be glad to answer. Yep, totally. Absolutely. Well, Michelle, this has been awesome learning about your background and kind of how you're keeping up the good fight. If people want to follow you and see what you're up to, where can they go to see you? Sure. Thanks. You too. Um, my website is thefarmbabe.com and my handle is at thefarmbabe on like everything, <laughs> the farm babe, um, except for Facebook. Facebook is where I have a majority of my fans and my page is just farm babe. If you just search for farm babe, but otherwise the farm babe, YouTube, Instagram, uh, Snapchat, Twitter, TikTok, you name it. <laughs> I'm on all of it. <laughs> oh, shoot. You're using TikTok now? I have yet I mean, to dive into it. It looks cool, I, but I haven't used I think it. I, have like, I think I have like one follower because I just joined like yesterday. <laughs> <laughs> it's a start. There I'm you go. Try. I'm a try. Well, cool. Well, Michelle, thanks for being on. We will talk to you soon. We wish you the best of luck and continue to keep up awesome. everything you're doing. Hey, thanks. You too, man. I appreciate it. Absolutely. Mondays, head offshore with Captain Scott Walker and Steve Roger for breathtaking deep sea adventures. Coming to me, coming to me, coming to me. Double. He's jumping, he's jumping, he's jumping. Oh! oh. Look at that Don't miss Mondays with Into the Blue. Brought to you by Academy Sports and Outdoors from 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern. Tell a few fish stories along the way. On Waypoint TV, the destination for outdoor entertainment.